Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to Jeremy Levin, coordinating producer at Turner Sports. All right, so uh, so it's two o'clock. I will get started here. Uh, if you have questions, type them in there. Hopefully, I'll see them in the chat, and um, I will answer as many questions as you all have. I'll give you a little background about myself, uh, how I got here, and um, tell you a little bit about Inside and the show that we put on uh, most weeks, but it's been a little weird to hear these past few weeks not working on the show. Um, so... <laughs> My friend says I need fancy books. There are a lot of books on the bookshelves, just mostly some Emmys back there. Uh, there are books as well. Uh, so my name is Jeremy Levin. I'm a coordinating producer at Turner Sports. Uh, that means I help oversee a bunch of shows. I produce Inside the NBA on a weekly basis. I produce uh, our NBA on TNT Tuesday show. And then I produce our UEFA soccer coverage studio shows and I help some of those overlap. So then we put in other producers and I help those producers kind of put the formats uh, together. I grew up in uh, Boulder, Colorado. You may see from my avatar on Twitter. Uh, I'm the guy on the right-hand side. My dad's in the middle there. And that's my brother on the left-hand side, big Broncos fans. And that was one of the uh, great sports moments I've had up to a certain point. Uh, Broncos went to the Super Bowl, not the one they won. I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the one in New York City. So uh, I was able to take my dad and my brother, and it was a great time right up till kickoff. And then uh, uh, Seahawks kicked the Broncos' ass, and it was very depressing after kickoff. But uh, up to that point, it was great being able to kind of take my dad and my brother to a Super Bowl. And I'd never been, so it was an amazing experience, except the game did not go the way we wanted. At least I won one a couple of years later. So grew up in Boulder, Colorado, uh, went to school at the University of Arizona, which was a great experience. Loved the U of A. Um, I heard some of the other guys talk about schools and where they went to school. And like, look, if you can go to a school like Syracuse and get a great degree, great. Uh, Ernie went to UGA. They got a great program. That is also awesome. Um, and shout out to Ernie for inviting me on this. He is the man. I'll get more into Ernie later as we go. But uh, what a privilege it is to be able to work with a guy like Ernie Johnson every day and so much you can learn from him. So, uh so I went to University of Arizona. I got my degree in media arts. Um, so it was a lot of study of film. Like we, we did a lot of film and a lot of people went into like movie making and the movie making business. There was a little bit of television and like some radio work as well, where I got my best experience. What I recommend for anyone that's trying to get into the business. Uh, I got an internship. Uh, the first semester of my junior year at the local uh, TV station, local NBC station in Tucson, working in their sports department. So at a small market like Tucson, there were three people uh, full time in their sports department. There was the main anchor guy that anchored Monday through Friday. There was a reporter reported kind of uh, three days a week and then anchored the weekends. And then there was a sports producer. Those were the only three guys they had in the whole sports department to cover uh, all the sports in Tucson. So they hired some interns. They didn't hire interns. We just got some school credit. So went in there, 
uh, did one semester, got school credit, and it was just such a great experience. I just asked him if I could keep working, keep working again. And this is what I recommend to anybody, like just find a way to do it, right? And they were like, hey, we need help. We'll let you keep doing it. So for the next year and a half, so I essentially interned for two years, even though I only got one semester of credit for it. I kept just working there for free because the experience was so great. I loved doing it so much. So every Friday night, we'd go out, cover high school football, uh, run around. Uh, U of A was right there. So they would send us out to U of A basketball practices, football practice. Again, got experience uh, interviewing players, talking with players, talking with coaches, coming back, pulling the best sound bites, figuring out what sound bites were great, what you wanted to uh, use on the show. So that was a great first experience. Um, and I highly recommend whatever you can do to get an internship while you're in college, uh, do it, get your foot in the door, get that real life work experience. Because again, U of A was great. The education was good. But what really made it was the internship and getting that real life work experience. So that was great. I uh, got to the end of my senior year. I uh, knew I wanted to work in sports TV full time at that point. Um, and this was 1995. So a long time ago, like email was just starting in 1995, believe it or not, like people did not communicate via email. Uh, it was just you had to like sign, write letters. So I wrote letters to every NBA team, every uh, baseball team, every football team, ESPN and CNN. Back then, CNN had a nightly sports show um, that somewhat competed with ESPN. Um, so you kind of, I'd kind of watch them both to see what they both did, how they led their shows, what they did. I'd flip back and forth. Uh, that was before DVR. So I just flipped back and forth to see which, uh, news stories or which games they were going with to lead with what they were putting later in the shows, how they attacked their shows. Uh, so I sent letters to all those people. I mean, it was hundreds of letters and I got back no response, nobody, no positive, nothing, nothing, nothing. I knew this is what I want to do. So I was trying to figure a way to do it. The only positive thing I got back was a letter from CNN saying, hey, we have some internships, but no jobs. So let us know if you're interested in an internship. So again, and I'm graduating from college. Uh, I need to find a job. But I was like, hey, th this is the only uh, possible thing that that's moving me in the direction I know I want to go. So I knew nothing about Atlanta, Georgia. I think I flew through Atlanta once on the way to a Final Four Arizona played in in Charlotte. Um, but that was the only time I've been to Atlanta. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. The Olympics were coming to Atlanta in 1996. I was like, maybe it's a cool place to go. We'll find out. Um, so I literally packed my car up from college, all the stuff I had, and drove to Atlanta, Georgia, uh, not knowing anybody in the entire town. Uh, I pulled off 75 at a Holiday Inn, didn't know where I was, just got off, got a room at the Holiday Inn, went to CNN the next day to start this internship. Quick, funny story about the internship. The intern coordinators were this guy, John Little and John O'Connor. Turns out I still work with John O'Connor to this day. Uh, he runs our NBA TV, NBA digital uh, program. Um, amazing guy, but just, again, funny, like how you meet these people and they stay in your life for a long time. So got, got the internship at CNN and basically an intern at CNN, you would go watch a game every night and log it. So write down every play that happened. This was during baseball season. So, you know, hey, uh, this was Cal Ripken was chasing his streak of consecutive games. So Cal Ripken, single to right field, uh, whatever happened next, a home run by somebody else. You logged every play. 
of every game that you did that night. So typically you do one, maybe a second game. So you did that for free. So I was just logging games at CNN, getting real life work experience, seeing how they put together this national sports show. Again, back then uh, it rivaled sports center. It was close, right? Like they did a great job with their sports show. So I'm learning how to put together these sports shows, just kind of, again, soaking in the atmosphere uh, that I was allotted. I realized I couldn't just keep working for free all the time. So I got a uh, job during the day at Eastlake Golf Course, caddying, uh, caddying around Eastlake Golf Course. So they paid you to carry bags of club members. So I did that, carried two bags at once. I think you got like 20 bucks a bag. So I made 40 bucks there. And then if you're lucky, the member would tip you. So if you're lucky, you're making $100 a day down there. And then uh, I'd go at night and log these games over at CNN. Did that for about three months, and then someone this was getting ready for uh, NBA season was cranking up, and someone was like, "Hey, you know, uh, NBA on TNT, they pay you to log these games. They'll pay you a hundred bucks a night." And I was like, "Sign me up. How do I do that?" So I met this guy Steve Katsoulis at the time. He was the highlight supervisor. So basically, we had a guy called this high scoop, and he ran the room of all these guys logging games to coordinate the highlights for the NBA shows back then on TNT NBA. Uh, they did three nights a week, so. I ended up getting that job with Steve Katsoulis, logging games, uh, getting paid 100 bucks a night. So I was making 300 bucks a week uh, logging NBA games, and I was still working at the golf course, making a couple hundred bucks a day there. So uh, I really felt like it was great. I'm caddying, walking around a golf course all day, and then going to log these games at night. Uh, again, so I'm in this room. I'm meeting people, how they do TNT. Uh, as luck had it, right around then, uh, these guys from ESPN were coming down. The guy's name was Tim Kiley. Uh, he was there. He's kind of reinventing the way they do inside the NBA. And Tim Kiley, uh, great man, uh, kind of feel like I was his understudy for a long time. He taught me how he does his show. He's got a really unique philosophy. I'll get in more to the philosophy of inside in a little bit. But again, kind of uh, growing up under these great people, these great leaders, seeing how they produce great television, all just while soaking it up. So doing whatever I can, whatever I can, whatever job is available, I'm taking it. So logged a bunch of games and they needed some editors. So I started editing games and I think you got 125 bucks to edit. So I was like, Oh, a little more cash. That's great. Around that same time, uh, regional sports networks were just coming into fruition. Like they, it's not like it was how it is now with every city, every team has their own sports network, but Turner started this one called sports South, which eventually became Fox sports South. And they were looking for people to help with an SEC show. So I said, Hey, I'll do that as well. So I started doing that five days a week. Uh, working on the show about the SEC, a little magazine show. So that was fun. Again, getting more experience. Uh, the great thing about Sports South was it was a small unit, kind of like working at a local TV station. So they just need people to crank out content and help. So I got a lot of chances to do a lot of things above my production, production assistant title. So I was going out, shooting features, uh, editing features, uh, working on basically producing show on a week-to-week -week basis, which was great. Um, I did that for a couple of years. From there, I stayed as a production assistant. The Olympics came. I worked in the Olympics in 1996, uh, the baseball venue. We had triple headers every day. So triple headers of baseball every day. Uh, a lot of fun. Great times. We'd uh, do triple headers. Then we'd go downtown Atlanta, hang out, meet all these international people. Awesome experience. So again, just trying to find work wherever I can do it, learn about the business. Um, so after the Olympics, uh, the guy I worked with the Olympics, he also worked at Fox Sports South. Uh, they hired me full-time to work on Braves and Hawks games. So I was a production assistant for Braves and Hawks games. 
Uh, and that was basically you're responsible for all the graphics that you see on the screen for the Braves and Hawks game. So uh, keeping score of the game, guys come up to bat, hey, uh, Chipper Jones, one for three with one home run. You're building all those graphics with an operator. So I did that for three or four years, kind of, again, increased my responsibility just because they needed so much help. They didn't have a huge staff. So in addition to the graphics, I would work on features for their pregame show and postgame shows. Uh, another great opportunity, I pitched uh, the EP – this uh the braves were getting ready to go to venezuela for a spring training series i was like hey go down capture all this footage all these uh features uh shoot a bunch of content bring it up and we could air it for like the first couple weeks of the season they bid on it so i got to go to venezuela again amazing experience it was awesome so i did that for again like two or three maybe four years all the time i was still logging games at turner because i didn't want to give up those connections and meeting those people and being around those people in the control room Ernie Johnson was hosting it so again kind of just making inroads with all these people across a bunch of different networks so the opportunity came at Turner uh, where they needed an AD because they were taking over the local rights package of the Hawks and Braves well they had the Braves forever they did Braves on TBS and they televised like 130 games but they needed someone for the Hawks games so I said they asked they offered me if I wanted a job as an associate director and this is where my head got like a little uh it was just a little weird for me to process because I knew I wanted to be a producer and this title this job was associate director and I was like oh, I don't want to be a director I want to be a producer but I was like it's going to be a good opportunity to get my foot in full-time with Turner um I can figure it out as I go and again probably the best move I ever made because I ended up full-time at Turner taking the associate director job and I still crafted my own path to become a producer and ultimately produce uh inside the NBA which again I love doing it's amazing so it's it's hard sometimes I think to wrap your head around titles and what you get caught up in what people are calling you but more important is just get get your foot in the door it doesn't really matter like you could be called whatever you want to be, whatever the type, whatever the position is, find it, take it, grab it, get in the door, meet the right people. And you can make the most of that situation. So, um, so I got the job as an associate director working on these uh, Hawks games. So I did that for two seasons. And then I started working on the Braves on TBS for two years also. So again, the great thing about those two things is we're doing about 70 Hawks games and we're doing 130 baseball games. So I'm getting so much experience in the live TV truck. It's unbelievable. Right now at Turner, you work one night a week. Maybe you work two nights a week. There's nothing like uh, getting the reps, just like anything else. If you're a baseball player, football player, you just need to get the reps and that's how you get better. So I was getting tons of reps, getting so proficient at, at becoming an associate director. So from there, uh, I after two years of that, I went to the NBA on TNT crew. I worked with Doug Collins, uh, Kevin Harlan, Scott Cockrell, Lonnie Dale, some of the, again, some of these like great names that produce and direct shows, uh, some of the best guys in the country to learn from. So I'm sitting in the truck, learning from these guys, working with guys like Doug Collins, how he breaks down the numbers, how he analyzes the numbers. Uh, Kevin Harlan, who, who preps like crazy, who, um, works his tail off going from Monday night football to football on Thursday to more uh, NFL on Sunday, just seeing the work ethic that he had and he put in <clears throat> again, great experiences. So I did that for seven years as an associate director for seven years, all along that time, I knew I wanted to produce stuff. So I was looking for opportunities to produce within Turner. Um, one of the best opportunities that came was we, uh, we had a joint venture with NASCAR for a few years where we co-produced co it with NBC. It was a bunch of their staff, 
some of our staff. I didn't really work on that, but when that deal ended, uh, Turner got six races to their own um, to put on, produce. We had an hour pregame show uh, and then the race. So NASCAR wasn't hugely popular in our office. A lot of people into the NBA, a lot of people into football, uh, baseball, but not a lot of people into NASCAR. And I didn't know much about NASCAR either, but I started studying it because I saw this could be an opportunity. Again, not a lot of people want it. I want it. I want those chances. I want it to be a chance to show that I can produce events. So Tim Kiley, who I mentioned earlier, he produced it. He produced inside the NBA. He produced the first year of NASCAR, but he's like, Hey, Jeremy, I don't want to do this all the time. Come out on the road with us this first year, see how I do it. And then you, if you, if you can, uh, we'll see if you can take it over by the end of the year. And then you can produce the rest of the uh, pregame shows from there on out. So I did it. I soaked it up, man. I went out six races uh, and NASCAR is a bear, man. I, I don't know how they do it. Some of these guys are out there every weekend for 40 weeks in a row. It is crazy because uh, the races are all weekend. They start rate. They start prepping for racing Thursday, Friday, race Saturday, Sunday. You come home Monday, and then Tuesday you're cranking around with conference calls, uh, getting ready for um, for the next week of racing. But anyways, this was an opportunity for me to produce uh, my first ever show. So TK graciously handed over the reins, said it's all yours. And probably the NASCAR experience producing that show was one of the best experiences of my life because it's a huge show. We had an anchor. We had two anchors on the desk. We had four pit reporters. We had a booth with uh, three more talent up in the booth. So it is a huge uh, process to get that pregame show formatted, put together, um, and again, just another great learning experience. So I did that. I did that for the next five years, eventually became full-time sta- uh, full-time producer in that five years, because in that five years, uh, Turner also took over producing all the NBA shows for NBA TV, uh, NBA TV operations moved to Atlanta and basically staffed the whole thing, putting on shows. So I got my first full-time producing job at Turner producing shows uh for the nba and nba tv so started again started there first year i worked on the show called uh fan night it was with amad rashad chris weber gary payton it was great uh i loved it it was kind of like it was is i was taking what i saw with inside and trying to put my spin on it um so it was a great experience uh again not everything always great right at the end of that first year it was kind of like it was just a crazy show. A lot of big personalities, all of us figuring out how we're going to do the show. So at the end of the first year, they were like, Hey, Jeremy, we're going to let somebody else produce the show next year. And I was super bummed about it, man. Like I was like, that's a big blow, uh, blow to your ego. Cause we thought the show was going good, but, uh, they didn't like the direction the show was going. So I took some time to self reflect on that. And, um, I, I knew I still wanted to do it. I found it in my heart. I keep, I kept wanting to do it. So, Went back to the bosses. I was like, what do I need to do to get that show back? And they're like, hey, you know, just take your time. We'll figure this out. And it turns out the guy they put in to produce it, he wanted to produce games. And he was getting more opportunity to produce games. So I was studying what he was doing, how I could tweak my own methods, how I could get better, uh, where I failed that first year. And so I took that. Um, the guy started going out that was producing the show. We started going out doing more games. And so they asked me to fill in for a few of those shows. So I started filling in more and more. Turned out that guy went to produce full-time the next year. So the next year, I was back to full-time producing the studio show, kind of the signature stu- uh, studio show for uh, for NBA TV. 
And the other cool thing that happened at that time was that they brought Ernie on to host the show as well. So that's kind of where Ernie and I started really connecting and working uh, on a more regular basis. And not that I knew it then, but like basically that was laying the foundation for me to work on Inside the NBA with Ernie. I was building this relationship with him, figuring out how he works. He's figuring out how I work, kind of finding how we work well together. Um, and then I did that for, I, I would say, about four years. And then I started like, I started knowing I want to do more. I want to do more. Uh, you know, I'm ready for the next step. And so I started looking around and seeing what else is out there outside of the Turner universe. Um, because Turner is a great place to work and a lot of people don't leave. They just stay there. And I was like, if I'm going to get better uh, and I'm going to keep pushing myself, I need to find out what's next for me. So I started looking for some other jobs. Some things came through. I went to talk to my bosses at Turner and they were like, we want to keep you. We appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, we'll start to give you more reps on inside the NBA. So Tim Kylie was great. He brought me in. He showed me literally the ropes of how he works on inside the NBA, like on a man to man basis. Like he, he, he pulled back the curtain. He shared everything with me and it was great. So, so inside the NBA started TK showed me the ropes, how to do it. I've been producing that show for seven years. Um, it started out slowly. TK kind of holding my hand, getting me used to it. Again, huge name talent, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Shaq came on. Uh, it's a lot of personality to deal with. Um, so just how you juggle all that. And he was great helping uh, guide me through that. Uh, I would say for the past two or three years, I've basically been on my own. TK's around. but uh, And he's, he's just like a great voice to uh, bounce ideas off of. But we've been doing the show for so long now. Uh, we found a nice little rhythm and uh, that's kind of my path to how I got to be a coordinating producer at um, TNT inside the NBA. Again, you have questions, type them in here. I will answer them. Uh, um, you can ask me anything. I'll try to answer as best I can. Um, so feel free to shoot them in there. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about inside the NBA and the process we go through uh, to create that show. I'm just getting uh, basically this document that we use. So every Monday we have a meeting for inside the NBA. It's a production meeting. Uh, Ernie's a part of it. And then the rest of our production staff is a part of it tomorrow. If you come on uh, journalism school, he's having a roundtable discussion with a bunch of other of our production people. So uh, there's PR going to be in there. There's going to be uh, our, one of our associate directors, uh, one of our graphic designers, the guy that does all our kind of, um, Photoshop elements. He's going to be in there. Um, so this question comes up, how many people work behind the scenes on inside the NBA? It's crazy between the camera guys, the video guys, the graphics, uh, EVS operators. We're going to have an EVS operator up there. Um, I would say we have 50 people working on that show on the night of the show. So Thursday night, we have 50 people, I would say roughly working on that show. Um, I will kind of go back here to a couple, a couple more questions that are popping up. This is great. I will scroll back and get these. Uh, I just want to take you through kind of how our show uh, gets to Thursday. And then I will go back and answer some of these questions and I can dive into some more stuff. So we have this meeting Monday with the entire staff. Ernie calls in. It's our entire staff. And we kind of line up what we want to do uh, for that week. Hey, here's the double header we have. Here's some video we might need. Hey, this is, we have LeBron versus the Clippers. So last time they met, uh, you know, what did they do? Let's get some of that video ready for pregame show. So we load up all these elements. Um, and what's great about our show, though, and it's the title of Ernie's book, which I have here, because this is a great book. Go buy this book or 
get it on Amazon where we got to get it unscripted, right? Unscripted is, is the theme of the show for inside the NBA. My job is to create a script to put a rundown together of how we're going to execute all this. But the best part about the show is at least 50% of the time, we don't go by that. We go with whatever's happening. So, um, and that talks to kind of one of our key tenants, I guess, of the show is being authentic and being unscripted, being able to roll whichever direction we want to go, right? So uh, be authentic. We don't tell our talent, hey, you need to talk about this. We don't, um, we don't force them to have an opinion. Hey, like you have to talk, take the, the right side and you take the left side. Whatever their opinions are is what their opinions are. And we're not going to make them change that. We want them to have an authentic conversation representing whatever their viewpoints are. So I'll say, hey, we want to talk about LeBron and his dominance over whatever. But it's up to the guys on, on set to talk about whatever their true authentic voice is. Um, and then again, this unscripted nature of it. Uh, we'll, Ernie and I and the whole staff will put together this whole rundown. We'll talk about what we want to do the whole week. And then we'll get on set. And Charles will come out there. Charles is not part of a production meeting. None of, none of the talent. Ernie's the only person that's part of a production meeting in this whole process. Shaq, Kenny, uh, and Shaq, Shaq, Kenny, and Charles are not part of that process. So they come on set at 8 o'clock when we come on the air, and that's the first time they know what we're talking about. They'll know we're probably going to talk about the doubleheader. But Charles can come out and say, hey, you know what, Ernie? I don't want to talk about the doubleheader tonight. I don't want to talk about coronavirus. I want to talk about gun regulation he could literally say whatever and we will pivot and go that direction and that's one of the things that makes the show special unique uh and amazing in my mind um let's see i got a couple questions coming up here so i'll answer those and i'll go back to the show so it says as a producer what is one element that your production crew must have um i would say i would say work ethic and creativity creativity uh, we and we want people bringing ideas to the table because this is another great thing about the show. The show is super collaborative. It's not just on me. It's not just on Ernie. It's not just on our director Steve Fiorello. It's on all of us to bring ideas, creativity to the show, and that's what makes it awesome. So we want people bringing ideas, thinking creative. Um, this Jeopardy, we did a Jeopardy parody last year. Uh, one of the women on our social media department, Audrey Martin, she's working on a 30 year doc now, which is going to come out this, uh, summer, hopefully it's amazing. But she was like, Hey, I've seen this run on Jeopardy. I think I forget who the guy was going nuts last year when he kept winning and winning was crushing money. He's like, she's like, we should do a parody. And then someone jumped in on that was like, yeah, well, we should do a parody, uh, and have the guys answer some crazy questions. We have crazy categories and it just kept. Uh, snowballing until it became this kind of fun moment that we did in the middle of playoffs last year. Uh, so that was, that's some of the big stuff we look for uh, on the production crew. This question, oh, where did the questions go? I just lost them. Sorry. I don't want to comment. So I'll stand by. Can you talk about being an associate director is like Atlanta newscast director TD here. So yeah. So an associate director uh, holds a lot of responsibility in our office. They uh, basically get the control room ready to go before the producer and director get there, make sure the TD has got everything loaded, all our sales elements. Hey, here's our sales elements. Make sure you have our Kia players of the month ready for tonight. That's one of our sales elements. They also coordinate all our uh, commercial traffic. So they're on with master control, kind of getting us ready to go to break. So, hey, stand by your commercial break in three, two, one, roll your commercial. And then they listen to master control on the back end. We'll say we're going to commercial for two minutes. That associate director, uh, who again is on this panel discussion with Ernie tomorrow, so chime in. He can talk about this first person 
but that associate director talks us out of break. Also, so those in master control, we're back on air in four, three, two, one. We're back on air. Associate director uh, coordinates with our music, with our audio person. We've been trying to play a ton of um, popular music this year, so they're working with getting popular music and what's kind of relevant. We'll tie in with segments. Um, and they're also counting all our video elements. So if we have a video element that uh, a B-roll of LeBron James, three plays of LeBron James that we're going to play, they count us in and out of those elements as well. So uh, they do a lot of kind of the behind the scenes stuff, getting the director and producer uh, ready for the show and keep us uh, the train on the tracks while we go through this. What makes guys like Kevin Harlan, Marr, Bob Rathbun so good in your mind? Look, I, I worked with Bob on the Hawks games, worked with Harlan a ton, worked with Marv a bunch. Ernie Johnson clearly uh, worked with him. Well, they're, all, they're not all the same, but what makes them all great is they work. They work really, really hard. So, uh, And I think that's true with everyone on our production staff. Like These people work. They get the work done. Um, they put in the time studying. They put the time in preparing. So when they come out on air, they're ready. They're not nervous. They're prepared. They know in their mind everything that's going to happen in the game. They know all the players involved. They're not searching. They're not looking. They've made it uh, in their head so they know exactly what is going to happen. Um, Ernie, for example, and again, like not all our hosts do this, but one of the things I respect about Ernie, and he found this is what works for him, and everyone, every kind of uh, host or play-by-play guy has got to find their own rhythm what works for them, but Ernie comes in early. He gets there at noon. We're on the air at eight o'clock at night. We're there till two in the morning. Ernie gets there at noon and does all his prep. He's printing out articles from every local paper. Um, those teams that are playing, he's reading those, he's listening to the radio in those local markets. He's got, he's got a binder literally like this thick paperwork of every team that's playing. He's got of every team. And then he takes it for every team that's playing that night and he'll have on there all his notes, what they've done in their last 10 games, what their, what their next five games are, who their leading scorers are, who their leading rebounders are. Because, again, when you're working in an unscripted show, you don't know what Charles is going to ask you, right? If Charles is like, hey, who's their next five opponents, Ernie? Boom, he's got it right there. He can go and reference it. So uh, the prep and uh, knowledge that these guys, all these guys have is amazing, and it's what makes them truly special. So that's, uh, that's what makes them good. All right, another question here. Humorous graphics are key to the show. What's the process of developing those in show? Okay, so a couple things. The humorous stuff, a lot of that comes from Alex Hooverus, who's also on the panel discussion of Mars. So join the panel discussion of Mars. You can hear directly from him. Um, he basically creates these elements uh, in Photoshop and puts them to air quickly um, on this machine called a paint box that he uses. You can follow him at paint box or... He posts a bunch of stuff there. Uh, he's got a he's got a wicked sense of humor, and a bunch of our staff have this sense of humor, right? So, like, he'll again collaborative. He'll take ideas from other people. He'll take his own ideas, spin them forward. And I, what I'm really proud of these past few years is we've been able to integrate social media in a big way into our show. So a lot of ideas come from social media. We'll get tweets or Instagram posts, and that'll spur an idea for Alex to create uh, some kind of cartoon um, about something. So. Uh, the way we use social, the way we incorporate the social media, uh, I love it. It's a huge, become a huge part of our show. These guys have conversations with guys on Twitter that will pop up on the Twitter, uh, will pop up a tweet on screen, and they'll reference it and 
you know, nine times out of town, cut them down somehow, take a shot at them. But it's uh, a really fun part of the show. The other thing that Alex and his uh, associate director, Sean Gertzkoff, have been working on are audio tunes, which is where they find old clips of audio from our show, and then they animate them. So, again, super humorous, a lot of fun. Um, and, again, I think we, we don't take ourselves uh, that serious, so everyone's able to take shots at whoever. I, I get shots fired at me all the time. Uh, Ernie takes shots. Charles clearly takes shots. So, um, you know, no one being too high on their horse. The fact that Charles allows us to poke fun at him and is happy with it and he'll fire back, like that's a huge part of our show, right? If you don't have that kind of cooperation from the talent, then the show is not going to be what it is. Uh, let's see, a couple other questions showed up here. Why do you believe you are more suited for behind the scenes than in front of the camera? Uh, do you see this face? No, you can actually see, I don't know, I got scratched by a big tree outside my house the other day in a fire pit. That was great. We had a fire pit and I ran right into a tree the other night on our hiatus here. Uh, I just found myself more comfortable producing shows. Look, when I was at the uh, local TV station interning, I went out with a bunch of camera guys. I They gave us a chance after the newscast to sit on the anchor desk and anchor shows also. I sent a few tapes out to small markets when I was looking for jobs. And I just kind of felt myself gravitating towards this is what I'm better at. Like I'm better at producing content. I'm better at kind of formulating the plan for everybody to execute than I am to sit there and execute on air. So that's kind of um, why I took that route. I, it's something I'm more comfortable with. You, your crew ever struggle with Ernie and the main guys getting most of the public attention? No, I don't. Well, I can only speak for myself. I don't struggle with that. Like it's, that's what they do. They're out in front of the camera. It kind of goes to the other, the other side of it, right? That question I just answered. Like they're in front of the camera. They get it. It's great. The other thing they're great about, they shout us out all the time, man. They they are the best. They they look out for us one hundred percent. They always got our back. Um, it's like a big family. It, it sounds a little cliche, but it's not. Like they're they treat us like family. They respect us. They look out for us. Uh, take care of us in every way. So uh, that's never a problem. All right. Another question. Sorry. Uh, as someone behind the scenes, what do you think is the best trait that someone on screen can have? Um, I think I talked a little bit about this, but uh, being authentic, being who you are, like you can't fake being someone you're not. So you got to go out there and speak from the heart, speak authentically Whoever you are, whatever your position is, uh, you got to be there. And I think you got to be dedicated and work really hard. Like if you're Ernie, again, this guy's working harder than anybody else out there. And this is like year 30 for him. And he's still working harder than anyone else I see out there. He grinds it every day. And in front or behind the camera, you got to be willing to grind and put that work in, right? There's a lot of sacrifice uh, that comes for this type of work. Uh, and if you're not willing to put the work in, then you're going to be beat by somebody else that's putting in more work. So you got to be willing to put the work in. All right, another question. Why does the A block of Inside have a full three, five-minute uh, highlight? Just my pin, but feels like uh, we are waiting for the analyst discussion part uh, for a little bit, which is the best part. Uh, sure, that's fair, I guess. Um, so, look, I think we put the highlights in there. One of the great things about Inside is it's not just Ernie reading the highlights. So these guys... These guys will chime in over the highlight. They might start having their conversation over the highlight for 40 seconds. So that's fine. Like our thing with inside is we want to give them uh, elements to react to. Cause when those guys look to your point, when they're talking, 
and reacting to elements, that's when they're at their best. So um, we'll show a bunch of misses, and they might start reacting to that. Kenny might start singing the Harlem Globetrotters' Sweet Georgia Brown song. Uh, we're just looking to create moments for them to react to, to give you guys, the viewers, something fun at home. So um, we're not super worried about the length of the highlight. We want uh, Daryl Bernardo, who's also in this seminar tomorrow, the roundtable discussion. He's our highlight producer. We give him full reign to do what he feels necessary. Because one of the great things about Inside, unlike a sports center or an NBA TV game time, it doesn't have to be 60 minutes or 30 minutes. We have a little leeway at 1 to 2 in the morning on TNT to go 45 minutes. We want to go 45 minutes. One night we want to go an hour and 10 minutes. That's okay, too. So we're not super hamstrung by time which is great. It gives us freedom to talk longer, go shorter, whatever we need to do uh, on any given night. So uh, that is that. Uh, ATV asks, uh, three asks, my favorite exec at, at uh, Turner, Scooter, clearly it is you. It is you because you're the only one asking questions. If you didn't work in television, what would I do for a living? Uh, that's a tough call. Uh, one thing I like doing on the side that kind of keeps my... Uh, uh, mind at ease is I'm into real estate. I like looking for homes to buy, to renovate. Um, so it might be something along the lines of that. Uh, all right. So that's kind of where the questions are. Keep asking questions. If you have more questions, I'll go through a little bit about more, what makes the show. It looks like we got like 20 more minutes here. I don't know if I'll go full 20 minutes, but again, feel free to ask questions. Um, and I'll answer them as best I can. Uh, so, I think I talked about being a little bit unscripted and being authentic. I'll share you one story that kind of combines both of those. Uh, earlier this year, Kobe Bryant dies over the weekend, and we were getting ready to launch our Tuesday NBA on TNT Tuesday shows, which is a totally different cast, right? It's Adam Lefko, shout out BR, shout out Adam, uh, Dwayne Wade, great first year working with him, Candace Parker, awesome, and Shaq. So that was supposed to launch Tuesday. Kobe died over the weekend. We're supposed to launch this brand new vehicle on Tuesday. All the all the executives, myself, we all got on the phone. It didn't seem like the right thing to do. We wanted to be authentic to our voices. We didn't want to put those guys in a situation that they're not comfortable in coming on their first show on the air. So we pivoted immediately and decided this should be a show with the inside guys. So our talent relations department, uh, Tara, Ben, they all scrambled. They got those guys going, right? So we figured out, hey, we can do the show with the inside guys. Next thing was, hey, the Lakers are playing on Tuesday night at home. That's going to be their first game at home. We should be there. And it was on TNT. So we should be there as part of that studio presence. So we jump on a plane on Monday morning. The game's on Tuesday. Jump on a plane Monday morning from Atlanta, fly to L.A., thinking we're going to do this pregame show, postgame show from the suite because they have a game going that night. So we land. We start meeting with the people at Staples Center. And that, like, this is now about like one or two. And now it starts coming out. Hey, the Lakers are going to postpone that game. It's crazy. They're going to postpone the game. So we fly out there thinking, hey, we're going to have this game. We're going to do a pregame show, a postgame show. They're going to have a, they're going to have a, they're not, they're canceling the game. So now we're like, we're in LA. Do we fly home and do a studio show now in Atlanta? Do we stay here and do, do the show here? Again, we're uh, pivoting and pivoting all like just being super reactionary to what's happening in that moment. This is before we even get on the air. So we, okay, we should do the show from Staples. So we go back to the people at Staples Center, and they're like, well, we're not even putting the floor down for uh, the Lakers. We're getting ready for a Kings game. So our executives talk with the NBA executives, talk with the Staples executives. Ends up, they end up putting the court down. We put out five director stools. 
nothing any of us were like, I've never done a show like this. Ernie's never done a show like this. We're not quite sure what it's going to be like. But again, we're trying to just remain authentic to our voices and how we present ourselves, how Ernie presents himself, how Charles presents himself, all of them down the line. And we come on the air and we do this hour pregame show. Uh, and it, it, was, it was super, um, it was really intense. It was emotional. It was emotionally draining. Um, but it was one of the things I'm most proud of of working at Turner. These, we had anywhere from four to six people out there for, the, for that hour just talking and sharing stories. It was therapeutic to hear this. Um, and Ernie guided this conversation, as he always does, in such an awesome way. Um, and it was just super moving. It was also, normally we have an hour show. We have five or six commercial breaks we got to get in. Our, our, our sales department and our commercial department was like, hey, don't worry about the commercials for this show. Just do whatever you need to do to make it right. And again, so like they were part of it. It was this huge team effort to put in a show to honor Kobe, to honor his daughter, to honor the other uh, victims of that helicopter crash. And it was just, again, nothing anyone planned, nothing anyone could plan. We were just super reactionary, and I think we covered it in a great way. Uh, got a couple more questions that popped in here, so I will go back. Explain the working relationship between the producer and the director. Steve Fiorello is our director of this show. Uh, great dude. Um, I would say it's like um, somewhere between husband and wife and brother and brother. Like uh, we have, We get along great, and so there's a lot of great moments. There's also sometimes there's tension. Like he wants to do something one way. I want to do something one way. We, so we work, we work these things out. We talk about it. We figure it out. We ultimately come up with a great solution. The great thing is that Steve, again, collaborative, he's always pouring ideas into the show. I'm pouring ideas into the show. So at the end of the day, we all want the best show. So Steve is kind of the director of the show. He's the guy calling the cameras, calling for tape rolls, but he does so much more than that. He goes down in the studio and he'll like, again, we talked about, I talked about this jeopardy idea that came up with, he like, he took that from an idea into execution. So he got the scene guys to create pedestals. He got our graphics guys to design a screen that looked like the Jeopardy screen. So he's doing all these things to get the ideas that we all come up with onto air. Uh, and then it's, again, we're kind of collaborating back and forth, him and I during the show. Hey, should we show that tweet? Should we not show that tweet? Hey, do we want to do this paint box? Do we want to put that up? Um, so again, just very uh, back and forth, wide open. We're always talking. Uh, with the idea of we want what's best for the show at the uh, end of the day. Uh, this question is great. How do you keep an unscripted show from completely going off the rails? Apparently you haven't seen our show. We go off the rails a lot. Uh, we, we go off the rails. Like that's part of it, right? Like you got to live on the edge of the envelope. Uh, and sometimes we go past the edge and like uh, sometimes it turns better. Sometimes it turns worse. It just depends. But uh, that's part of an unscripted show. Like it's going to go off the rails and, Again, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not. You kind of uh, live with those consequences and results of whatever happens. But uh, you can't be scared to not go there. You got to go there. You got to push the limits uh, and, and ride that rail as far as you can go. Uh, and I would say, like, the longer you work on the show, the longer you go, you get you get a feel for those guide rails. Uh, so that helps. And then the other great thing is having a guy like Ernie on there that can reel it back in and say, all right, hey, we got to – Slow it down, move to the next thing, or we just go to commercial. All right. Uh, any advice for people there that are putting a reel together? Are there certain elements you want to see? Um, I would say I want to see your personality. I want to see, you know, what you got. There's a lot of people that can go do um, makeup reels, sit at a desk, 
read a prompter, uh, but what makes you you? What makes you authentic? What makes you special? Again, like a lot of people can read the teleprompter. What's beyond that? What's going to make you special? What's going to stand out? That's what I would say I'm looking for. Uh, what is one crucial mistake you made when producing a show or film project? How did you recover? I've made a lot of mistakes. I mean, I, again, I think it talks about like, you know, living on the edge and, you know, letting the show go off the rails. You, we're never perfect, man. Every, every show, there's some kind of mistake. Like, and, and ultimately as a producer of the show, all mistakes that happen on the show are my, are my responsibility. So there's a graphics mistake. That's my fault. Like we have a graphic screen up there. So our graphics production assistants putting these, up on the screen, I should be reading each one of those. If one hits air and it's a mistake, that's on me. Um, we wrong, we've rolled wrong tapes. We've gone to interviews and they haven't heard us. We can't see them. Mistakes happen all the time. I think the thing is to uh, embrace the mistakes. This is another kind of TK philosophy. Like if it's some weird thing, like a light bulb, like blows up in the studio and cracks, like we try not to hide from that. We try to uh, embrace that. And again, same as you in your house, like, it's all part of life and living and we're all just trying to go through this thing. And like, we make mistakes because mistakes happen. We're not perfect people. No one is. So embrace that. Uh, we try to have fun with it. Like if it's something silly, we'll, or not even if it's something silly, if it's just some mistake, we'll try to find a way we can have uh, some fun with it and spin it into something funny. How much do you work with the team communication PR staff? Um, so I, th I guess you're talking about like NBA PR and NBR, NBA PR staff. We work with the NBA PR staff, like the, the, the main NBA people. We, we, have, we have weekly meetings with them to talk about things that are happening in our, especially our tentpole events like uh, All-Star, Conference Finals. Um, we work with those people a lot. When we're out for Conference Finals, we'll work directly with the PR staffs of the teams to try to get players as guests or legends as guests out to our set. Or post game, hey, Giannis just had a big game. Can you come out and join us? Uh, and sometimes we, um, sometimes we're successful and like it's great. Like we had Draymond Green up on set with us when Charles was having a beef with him two years ago, and it led to great moments. And we we hope to get those moments with a lot of teams. And some teams are great about like letting us embrace again who we are uh, with the show and having those open and honest dialogues. So when we have those moments, players. Uh, we, we embrace them and love them. And, you know, we've been fortunate to have a bunch of the big stars on our show. So hopefully uh, we can keep rolling with that. All right. Uh, a couple more here. You added Shaq years ago and added a new Tuesday team this year. Uh, what made you choose that specific talent? So I'm not, uh, I'm not part of the talent team. I'm not part of the team that directly chooses the talent that uh, works on the show, but I would say, uh, again, we look for people that are entertaining, engaging, authentic, aren't afraid to speak their mind. Like these are general philosophies that we look for for our talent. Uh, you know, Wade, Candace, Shaq on that Tuesday show, perfect examples of that. They all look at Wade's social media right now. He's killing it out. Like we don't even have shows right now, but Wade's still out there generating content. Candace is out there generating content. These are people that want to be involved with uh, viewers and um whether that's on our show, which hopefully it is, and hopefully we come back and give you that. But even on social, they want to engage with you guys. They want to be a part of this conversation. Uh, and that's having real honest conversations with you guys. So that, that's kind of what we look for. Uh, what advice do you have for someone in high school uh, trying to get ahead in the business? Uh, 
just start working. Find find your find where you can do it, man. Go go find your local TV station. See what you can do. Find the local cable access station. See what you can do. Go to the uh, regional sports network. See what you can do. The internet's out there now. Like you could even like start your own blog and just start blogging about games that you watched on TV or blog about old classic games. Get the experience. Do what you want to do. There's so many opportunities. Like I said, when I started in uh, 1995, like I had to send letters. Now email, like just email people. You guys can all email me if you got questions. Jeremy.Levin at Turner.com. Hit me on Twitter, whatever you want to do. Email so easy. So send an email. Do whatever you all want to do. Uh, just keep working and getting that experience. How do you suggest being authentic if you're working for a network team that has a vested interest? Yeah, look, that's it's, it, that's the you got to balance that, right? Like, and I, we did that with the Hawks and the Braves. Um, sorry, I'm just booting my computer up here. See what time about 10 more minutes. All right. Uh, it, it's definitely a fine line. You got to toe, right? Like if you're working for the Braves, the Braves aren't going to want you going out there saying they suck every night. Right. But like, how can you creatively uh, tell your story and, and, and remain true to you? Uh, and the Braves didn't even suck last year. They were great, but maybe the Hawks, I don't know. Uh how can you keep telling those stories uh, and find your authentic voice? Like it, it's hard, but like I over challenge you, there's probably a way to do it. If you go think creatively, go have those conversations with the people that matter and make those decisions and tell them what you want to do. And hopefully they understand that. On how the productions meetings go, what you say in Ernie's air and so on. All right. So yeah, so Thursdays, I told you Ernie gets in there around noon. I try to get in there around the same time. Uh, by this time, the format is put together in a software we call iNews. So we have our format laid out for what we want to do. Um, I try to go meet with Ernie uh, early that afternoon, one-ish. He's taping the Steam Room podcast now with Charles and Ernie. I highly recommend downloading it. Uh, it sounds like we're going to have a new episode coming out this week. So be on the lookout for that because uh, they can keep doing those shows uh, while they're safe at home. So look out for that. But uh, so either before or after he tapes the steam room, Ernie and I'll get together. We'll kind of go through whatever's happened over the past day or two since our last meeting on Monday. Do we want to tweak anything in the format? Any big news stories come up that we definitely want to address? Um, so we do that. Kind of finish making the tweaks to the format. Now by around 3 o'clock, the rest of the production crew is getting in. So our PAs, our ADs. Uh, so I'll go around. I'll meet with them, make sure their graphics are getting prepped. Do they have any questions about the format? Same thing with the AD. Hey, some music that we maybe want to pull out for the day. So do that for a couple hours. Uh, typically three hours before on the air. So we're on it at eight. At five o'clock, we have a production meeting with like our entire staff. So this is like, this is a huge meeting. It's probably 30, 40 people. We all meet in a big room. I'll run through line by line the format of what we're expecting. Again, this is all what we're expecting. We, we, we'll stay unscripted and go whichever way we need to go, but this is what we're expecting the night to be like. This is what we have. These are the sales elements we got to get in. Here's a couple extra things we have to tape for Bleacher Report or somebody else maybe that night. So we'll go over all those elements. Uh, it's another time when people with ideas throw ideas out. So, hey, like sometimes we don't have a neato stat of the night till that production meeting or we got a couple ideas and then we'll kind of flesh those out and see which way we want to go with uh, neato. So uh, that happens at five. Then everyone breaks for dinner around from six to seven, come back in the control room at seven, get everything lined up. Ernie gets out there about seven 30. We'll run through whatever elements we have for our typical 15, 20 minute uh, pregame show with him. Uh, and then we're live on the air at eight o'clock. And again, so Shaq, uh, Charles, Kenny, they're walking out there at seven 57, sit down. Hey, do you guys hear me? Uh, and then we roll with the show. 
I think the other part in there is how do I communicate with Ernie? So Ernie wears an IFB in his ear, which is basically like just like an in-ear earbud. He'll have it in there. I'll have, at my desk, I have a little button I can push to talk to him if I want to talk to him. I try to keep that communication uh, minimum as possible while we're on the air. So like in within the show, I might just be like, hey, next we have the uh, Bucks at Sixers highlight just to keep make sure Ernie's great. He'll have a little note card with like the traffic that's, that we've mapped out. But also just kind of give him a quick reminder or, hey, we only got a minute left here. We got to keep it short and sweet in there. And then we hit commercial, try to run through the full rundown of everything that we want to do again. And Ernie can ask me questions in that commercial break. Um, and then there's some non-visual communication that happens also between Ernie and I. Like uh, we might be in the highlight and Ernie might say like, hey, hit me again. I couldn't hear you or, hey, we're going to break after this. So uh, we try to look for those non-visual cues as well when uh, we're on air. Great. Uh, how did the idea of that come about? So, so that, again, we were getting ready for a show. I mean, we were supposed to have a show on Thursday night. And we're all sitting around Wednesday night. And the league starts shutting down. Like it was the it was the Oklahoma City game got postponed, and then it came out that Rudy Gobert had uh, the coronavirus, and we're all like, "This is crazy!" And then like an hour later, the NBA put out a statement: we're postponing the season, and we're like, "We're like, this is a like it was it was just we're all again trying to process this unscripted like." Who could have ever planned for anything like this? And then again, we start thinking like, "Well, is it the right time to have a show? Should we have a show?" Uh, and we all kind of agreed, like, yeah, we're planning to do a show. Let's do a show. Uh, we can still make it happen. We can all be in there safely. Again, like, we didn't even realize, like, we weren't required not to be at work yet. Like, it was just happening real time. So go do a show. Who can we have on the show? We start talking with our talent team. We start talking with Ernie, Sanjay Gupta, be great. So we get Gupta on that show. Um, and the other crazy thing with that show was, like, Charles – was not feeling great when he came back from New York and he felt like he needed to be tested. Um, so Wednesday night, it was like, Hey, Charles got tested. He probably can't come in the studio. So how can we make that work? All right, we'll just get him on the phone because that's the only really thing he has that we can get into the building. So um, again, kind of all just leaning on experiences that we've had in the past and what we know the show can be and staying unscripted, being authentic, uh, led us to that show. And again, it's another show I was proud of. I think it was uh, informative. And I think it's just uh, good for people to hear what Ernie, Charles, Kenny, and Shaq all have to say about some of these topics that are bigger than basketball, bigger than sports, uh, and real-world talk. So um, so that's it. Uh, let's see if we got any more questions. I think that might be it. If you guys got any more questions, we got about five more minutes here. Uh and then I'll wrap it up. But it's been really cool telling you a little bit about my story. Again, feel free to hit me after this with any tweets or questions. Uh, you can try my email, jeremy.levin at turner.com. Uh, I'll try to answer them. I got a little free time right now. So you can do it that way or hit me on Twitter, however you all want to do it. But uh, again, hard work. You're going to hear a lot of no's in this business. Uh, look for the yeses, um, you know. And even when we don't get the yeses, keep chasing. Get your foot in the door. How you can get your foot in the door? Internship, uh, literally whatever. Get your foot in the door and start meeting the right people. That'll make it uh, make it happen for you guys. Uh, and I wish you all the best of luck. Uh, hope it was informative for y'all. Uh, take care. Be safe in this uh, crazy time. Uh, and hopefully we're back with you, bringing you uh, inside the NBA for 
uh, 30 days, 30 nights, 40 days, 40 nights of playoffs. That's what we all live for. Uh, so hopefully have those moments and we'll crown a champion. But uh, we'll wait and see how the season shakes out. Everyone stay safe. Uh, one more time, email address, jeremy.levin, L-E-V-I-N, at turner.com. Shoot me a note. Uh, I'll try to answer the best I can. All right, y'all. Take care. Be safe. Bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of VJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute and Grady Sports.